T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Sun is out and the grass is growing. We we went from nothing going on to... Uh, I need to mow, and I need to mow soon. And speaking of turf, uh, we have Eric Watkins from the University of Minnesota, professor, turf grass breeding and genetics, and he joins us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Uh, Eric, good to visit with you. Thanks for having me, Steve. Yeah, and uh, we, we really have gone from zero to 100 when it comes to turf grass, because we, we did have a tough spring. There's no doubt it was cloudy, it was cold, uh, but but things have really taken off, not only the turf grass, but the weeds that go along with it. Yeah, there was really very little, in, in a very short amount of time, the soil uh, warmed up to a point where those um, annual weeds started popping. You see crabgrass uh, germinating now, and uh, grass uh, that was dormant not long ago greened up quickly, and now it's getting to the point where people are starting to mow. Yeah, and let's start with some of the basics. If you've seen uh, the crabgrass start, uh, is it too late to treat it? Well, it's too late to treat with the most common pesticide approach. So usually folks put uh, pre-emergent herbicide down. So we've missed that window because for the most part, especially in the Twin Cities, we're seeing crabgrass germination now. There are some products, if you look around, uh, that will, uh, will will hit that crabgrass after it's germinated. Um, but usually uh, pre-emergent control is a better option. One thing you can do, though, if, you, if you've had crabgrass problems in the past, um, encouraging uh, good, healthy growth of your existing turf grass. So if you've got a Kentucky bluegrass lawn, you know, make sure that uh, you're getting that fertilized here sometime in May. Uh, there's plenty, you know, we've got plenty of moisture with the rains we've gotten, so some fertilizer. Uh, let that grass kind of crowd out uh, those germinating crabgrass seedlings. Uh, another thing that's uh, sprouted quickly in my neighborhood are the dandelions. My approach has always been this, to just maybe spot treat the dandelions. Uh, some of my neighbors don't bother, and I know it, it, it's good for uh, the pollinators and the bees, uh, so, uh, like I say, I, I, I'm not as adamant about uh, ridding the lawn of all the dandelions as I once was. Yeah, I think if you want to get rid of your dandelion, spot treatment is fine. If you have a severe problem and you want to get rid of them, you have to do a blanket application of a broadleaf herbicide. But usually you see uh, situations where the dandelions are kind of here and there, and a spot treatment with a broadleaf herbicide should work just fine. Yeah, and uh, what, what about the, that that part of it? Uh, in, in general, do you think people use 
you know, just treat everything whether they need it or not? I mean, what what, what do you recommend? What do you talk about at the U that, that a spot treatment is always preferable when it comes to weeds? Well, either a spot, I mean, so blanket treatment is fine if you've got a, a problem that needs a blanket treatment. Sometimes I think uh, people put on a blanket treatment kind of just to be safe and, and want, to, want to make sure they don't have any weeds, but I think that's not uh, the best solution. One thing we talk a fair bit about is lower input lawn care, and, and one thing that we would uh, promote there is some acceptance of a few weeds. You know, I have a dandelion here or there. It's probably not that big a problem and doesn't require massive amounts of pesticide going down. Um, there's things you can do in terms of how you take care of your lawn that can help reduce the frequency or the, the number of weeds that you have over time. So uh, raising your mowing height a little bit, that's going to keep it's going to keep weeds down, proper fertilization of the grass you have, planting the right grass for your site that makes sense given the amount of sun or shade you have, things like that. Those things will also, those cultural uh, methods, will also do, uh, do a lot to reduce weed invasion. Eric Watkins from the University of Minnesota joining us, Professor Turfgrass Breeding and Genetics. And uh, he joins us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. And Eric's good enough to hang around until the weather at the bottom of the hour. And if you have a question for Eric, feel free to call 651-461-9226 or send a text, same number, 651-461-9226. Eric, uh, we we haven't uh, had a problem with watering. Uh, we, we've had plenty of rain uh, as of late. Uh, you, you, you talked about lower input. I have neighbors that, that have uh, in-ground sprinkler systems, and I, I swear they water every day, and, and that really isn't necessary. Let's start talking about that. When things do get drier, generally how much – uh, do the lawns need in a given week? Well, the amount of lawns it's going to need in a given week changes based on soil type and sure. type of grass you have, things like that. But in general, so you read about it, and it'll often be said that an inch a week is, is, is what the grass needs. But I would say that depending on the species, oftentimes it's less than that. The problem uh, I sometimes see is, is usually having that water turned on too often, even, even if we're getting into a drought where uh, people might have their irrigation system on every day. It's probably better practice to reduce the number of days you water and then water a little more on the days you do water, if, if you indeed need uh, to water. Oftentimes, just like I mentioned with weed control, there's things that uh, can be done to reduce the need to water, raising the mowing height and, and therefore mowing less. Uh, when you have opportunities to reseed your lawn, putting in a grass that uses a little bit, little bit less water. Um, so there's ways to prevent the need to water and then if you do have a need to water don't assume that it's critical that you go out there and water every day most most minnesota summers we need very little irrigation in uh in especially in the twin cities on our lawns now last year was an exception but those those years are few and far between when we need a lot of irrigation on our lawns Pleased to be joined by Eric Watkins from the University of Minnesota. Uh, one from our text line, what about quackgrass? Uh, what can be done about that? Quackgrass is a tricky one. Uh, if you have a quackgrass problem, usually over time it kind of takes over an area, and it's very difficult to nearly impossible to selectively control quackgrass out of another grass. They're both cool-season grasses, and 
uh, Kentucky bluegrass, for instance, you, it's really difficult to remove just the quackgrass and keep the Kentucky bluegrass. So usually what you have to do is uh, kill the patches of quackgrass and then let them die and then go back in and reseed those areas. So a, uh, sl- a non-selective herbicide like uh, Roundup or glyphosate would work uh, on those patches. And there again, you, you usually wouldn't have a situation where you have to blanket apply. Uh, you could go in and spot apply those patches where the crabgrass is worse. Um, as I mentioned before, things like raising your mowing height and making sure you're properly fertilizing the existing grasses will help uh, help combat quackgrass. But that's one of the more difficult weeds to handle in a lawn in Minnesota because there's not an easy solution to get rid of it. All right, let's go to the uh, phone lines. We have Tom in St. Paul. Tom, you're on the air with Eric Watkins from the U. Hey, Eric, Tom Rudberg with Minnesota Siding Company. Hey, Tom, good to hear from you. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you're on the radio. Hey, uh, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about uh, No Mow May. I understand the concept for the bees and all that kind of stuff, but, you know, I two, two questions for you. One, if you don't have any uh, flowering plants in your lawn, like I don't, uh, you know, I'm going to still keep mowing, and I wonder if a lot of people are saying, I, even though you don't have dandelions and such, I should not mow. The other question is, by the beginning of June, when you can start mowing again, you know, there's going to be grass that's going to be 8 to 10 inches tall. And how do you get your lawn back to your 2.5 to 3-inch height? Yeah, that's a good question. So we've been getting lots of questions on no mowing. And like Tom said, uh, if you don't have plants in your lawn that are going to flower and benefit pollinators, there's no reason to do to take part in no mowing. The other problem we've got with uh, no mowing is, our growth conditions are such that some lawns, especially Kentucky bluegrass, are going to get a lot of uh, a lot of grass growth in May. So you're going to get in a situation where uh, if you withhold mowing the whole month, um, you're going to have a lot of material to mow off. So if if you decide you've got some a uh, bunch of flowering plants in your lawn and you want to do no mow May, a couple things. One, maybe maybe you should mow in May a little bit. You know, maybe as we get towards you know the 20th, 25th, something like that. If we have all these good growth conditions, you can start uh, mowing a little bit then. Uh, the other thing is if you do wait till the end of May, uh, you would want to really carefully bring down that mowing height. So if it's at eight or nine inches, you wouldn't want to cut any more off uh, than about a third of that uh, plant height in one mowing. And because there's going to be a lot of clippings, this is one case where we would recommend uh, to remove clippings. Usually we say you should put clippings back in. So I get a lot of questions on this. There are some grass species that don't grow nearly as fast, and they're not going to be much as much of a problem. So if you have a fine fescue lawn, probably not a big deal to leave it unmowed during May. But Kentucky bluegrass, especially in a sunny condition where there's plenty of water and it's been fertilized, it's going to grow pretty vigorously. In terms of the, 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 um, any negative effects on the lawn, there could be a couple um, a uh, couple negative effects. One is uh, if you let a plant go like that without mowing it for a long time, you're going to probably lose some density to the lawn, which could open up uh, areas for weeds in the future. Uh, but there are some benefits to not mowing. The grass isn't going to be nearly as stressed. You probably get a little deeper rooting as well. One thing we've been recommending to folks is let's, instead of thinking this is just no mow may, reducing your mowing through the year, so mowing less frequently and raising the mowing height a little bit, is, is good for pollinators through the year and then also, uh, you know, results in lower water use and some other benefits to the lawn. Uh, one other one before we break, Eric, uh, the importance of sharp mower blades. Make sure they're sharp. That, that's a big deal for the turf, isn't it? 
Yeah, sharp mower blades is a, a good idea. If you have a dull blade and then uh, you don't clip off that uh, grass leaf uh, straight across and you get frayed edges of the grass leaf, it's an opportunity for the grass to get a little damaged and it doesn't look quite as good. And there's also more opportunity for water loss to the leaf then because there's more surface area that's exposed. So making sure you have a good sharp mower blade is a good practice. All right, quick break. We'll have more with Eric in a moment. Uh, by the way, our number is 651-461-9226. Uh, the do's and don'ts we'll get into. Should you defat? Should you rent one of those machines and pull the thatch? Uh, what, what about core aeration? Is that a good idea or a bad idea this time of year? We'll get into that uh, with Eric in a moment. From the U here on News Talk, E3OWCCO. Eric Watkins joining us from the University of Minnesota, Professor Turfgrass Breeding and Genetics. And uh, we appreciate the number of texts that we've received. And uh, we still have time. If you want a quick call and visit with Eric, uh, 651-461-9226, 651-461-9226. I happen to be at the hardware store this morning picking up a couple of things. I'm running a tiller because I'm uh, tilling the soil to get ready to a plant uh, some tomatoes, etc. Later this month, I always wait till Memorial Day weekend. Thanks to the advice from the experts on our Smart Garden Show, uh, courtesy of the experts from the University of Minnesota Extension Service. Uh, Eric on Saturday mornings, Denny Long, the host, and has hosted that for years between eight and nine a.m. But uh, there's also those machines that uh, defatch, and I know they're still popular. Is that a good idea to defatch your lawn here in the spring? So uh, if you have a thatch problem, you should defatch. Uh, however, you know, spring is okay. Uh, you want to defatch when the grass is growing pretty vigorously and healthy and can recover because the, the dethatching process, while it removes thatch, also, it's going to put some stress on the lawn, so you want that grass to be able to grow quickly out of that stress. Uh, fall is a little better uh, okay. for dethatching. So if, if, unless it's really severe, I would probably wait till you know, late August, early to mid-September uh, for any dethatching. Same thing with aerification. If you've got a compacted soil and you think you want to uh, aerify that uh, soil, and aerification also helps reduce uh, thatch buildup uh, in the future as well. So those are both practices that, do put some stress on the turf, and therefore you want to do them either in the spring or fall, but fall is better. On, on aerification, another reason that fall is better is that aerification process oftentimes is going to bring up soil and weed seeds and things, and there's a lot more weeds that germinate in the spring than there are in the fall. So if you're bringing up weed seeds in the fall, you don't, uh, it's not as big a deal as uh, it would be in the spring. Um, there are bare patches. Uh, maybe uh, the dog went in a particular spot all winter. Um, uh, raking, putting down seed. Is this a good time to get seed started? Yep, it's a good time. Uh, soil temperatures are good enough now. Um, rake up the area. Uh, make sure you you know put the seed down. Get a little seed to soil contact. Just lightly rake the seed into the soil. It doesn't need to be covered much. Uh, put down a little starter fertilizer. Something that's got some phosphorus in it. Uh, the middle number on the fertilizer bag is phosphorus, and make sure you keep it moist. key thing is uh, keep it moist uh, during establishment. Is, is it a good time to introduce new varieties? You talked about uh, the, there are new varieties in, in specific turf grass that uh, use less water. I mean, can you, you, can you transition a lawn to something that uses less water, doesn't grow as fast, doesn't need as much mowing, or, or is that not possible to, to convert a lawn? You can do it. 
uh, but it takes some time. Okay. Uh, however, if you're if you're interested in, in 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 introducing grasses that need less water than your current lawn, as you have damaged areas, it might be a good idea to to start the process. Um, you might end up in a situation though where you have you know one part of your lawn is growing more slowly than the other part because you put a different grass species in. So. Uh, but over, you know, every time you have a chance to overseed or you know fix up some patches, uh, and you want to try a new grass out, it's a, it's a, it's it's a good good way to do it. It's just not going to turn into your, uh, it's not going to convert completely over uh, in the, in you know in a year or something like that. It's going to take several years. Uh, one one of the other things uh, you, you you brought up fertilizing. Uh, there there are a number of companies that now have products where where you go out and you, um, you you've got four different products to use at four different times a year. What are the recommendations for fertilizing? What should that schedule look like? Well, for most home lawns, you know, that might be on the top end of what you'd need. So there's resources at the university extension site that talk about this, but um, it's going to all depend on how you're managing your lawn. Like do you want a lawn that's, you know, pristine and looks perfect all the time. You're putting, you're watering it regularly and so forth. Uh, the or are you are you content with a functional lawn that looks pretty decent but uh, doesn't have to be perfect? Um, the other big consideration is the type of grass you have. So Kentucky bluegrass might require uh, you know, double the amount of fertilizer that one of the fine fescues might uh, require, for instance. One thing most homeowners don't fertilize a lot. So if you, uh, if you do if you do uh, for instance fertilize just once a year, let's say you only remember to do it once a year. Uh, try to make that once a year application a late summer, early fall application. That's a little more bang for your buck than a spring application. But if you're going to apply twice, and I think that's that's pretty good practice for most lawns, most Kentucky bluegrass lawns, twice should be good enough. Uh, you might apply, you know, between now and Memorial Day, and then again uh, right around early to mid September. All right. So uh, the uh, the uh, the the key is. Uh... Not too much because my my sense is uh, more mowing. Uh, the the more you fertilize it, the faster it's going to grow. Um, clear, clearly, more mowing. Right. If you if you put a lot of fertilizer down and you're fertilizing all the time and watering all the time, you're going to stimulate more growth, and that's going to lead to more mowing. So it's going to be more time and. Uh, and, you know, use of your mower. And the other thing is when you have the more inputs you put on, like, you know, each grass species is going to have a certain amount of inputs that give it kind of optimum growth conditions, and you want to try to reach those for your for your situation. But if you push the grass a lot, you're going to end up with more organic matter being built up in that thatch layer, and that also then you create a need for more dethatching over time. So more inputs leads to other Requ- uh, additional requirements uh, for lawn care that some people might not uh, wish for. Well, Eric, good to visit with you. Like I say, my my lawn looked terrible, and now it it's it's unbelievable what a what a little rain and a little warmth will will, will do for the turf. It, it it actually looks pretty good. Yeah, this was uh, about perfect perfect grass season uh, grass growing weather right now uh, in Minnesota. All right. Well, Eric, good to visit with you. Thanks so much for the time. Enjoy your day. Yeah, you too. All right. There he is, Eric Watkins, professor at the University of Minnesota Turf Grass Breeding and uh, Genetics, and uh, just just great, great information. And I know there's no mow May. Um, I'm going to mow. I need to mow. 
and I probably am not going to have time today, but uh, for sure tomorrow before the ball game, I'm going to try and mow. 3.30, we'll have the weather in a moment. We'll talk wild hockey. Sarah McClellan covers the wild all season long for the Star Tribune. They are out. They got beat by the Blues in six games. They took a 2-1 lead in the series, dropped the final three. A lot of disappointment among wild fans. We'll discuss what happened with Sarah in a moment here on News Talk. E3O, WCCO. A wonderful regular season. And then a tough start in the playoffs with home ice for the Wild. They dropped the first one, come back, win the next two, and then lost the next three. They're out of the playoffs. The St. Louis Blues advance with a 4-2 series victory over the Minnesota Wild. A great deal of disappointment among the fan base, the players, uh, the coaches, management, I'm sure, uh, the owner, Craig Leopold. And joining us here to sort all of that out, Sarah McClellan, who covers the Wild for the Star Tribune, does a phenomenal job on the beat. Sarah, good to visit with you. Hard to believe it's already over. Yeah, you know what? Like you said, it was obviously a really impressive regular season, a franchise record season for this team in terms of wins and goal production. And obviously, you know, it looks like then this team has the ability to go on a long playoff run, but that just didn't happen. Um, I think part of it, obviously, is the matchup. The Wild obviously ran into a team very competitive and experienced in the Blues, only three years removed from a Stanley Cup championship. Um, a tough competitor, obviously, that finished right behind the Wild in the Central Division. But this was also, you know, a Wild team that, didn't play like it did in the regular season. The goal production wasn't there. Some uncharacteristic mistakes in front of its own net. And obviously that combination has the team's season ending abruptly with another early exit from the playoffs. And Sarah, there's no question this great regular season, uh, Kirill Kaprizov, Kevin Fiala, a lot of scoring punch. And then Bill Guerin picks up a, veteran goaltender, future first ballot Hall of Famer, and Marc-Andre Fleury toughened up things uh, on the back end, added some grit. All the ingredients seemed to be there, but one of the things that came to light maybe in the playoffs that it it wasn't all on the goaltending, but maybe they were expecting Marc-Andre Fleury to be able to steal a game. He didn't do that. They go to Cam Talbot in game six. Uh, Talbot didn't particularly have a great game. But once again, it isn't all the goaltending's fault. No, you know, I I think the Wild even said, you know, their goaltending was solid in this series. Um, It really did look like a team that scored its way out of trouble, that had one of the highest scoring offenses in the NHL, just wilted um, to be limited to two goals or less in obviously all four of the losses. Um, That wasn't how the Wild had success in the regular season. This was a team that routinely won by scoring three or more goals, four or more goals, five goals sometimes, and that production just wasn't there. Um, You can look at the individual outputs. Um, You know, Kevin Fiala, goalless in the series. Ryan Hartman, goalless in the series. Marcus Foligno, goalless in the series. That, you know, 80-plus goals in the regular season and just key players in the lineup didn't have that same production. So you're right. I think the goaltending decision comes under the microscope because, like you said, they switched goalies in the series. 
But this really did look like a loss indicative of a team that couldn't get its offense going, and that's trouble for a team that is kind of built through its offense. Uh, hockey legend Lou Nanny, uh, Valley Sports North analyst, uh, and joined Chad Hartman uh, here on CCO and talked about the special teams and how uh, the, the power play in the series was dreadful. Uh, special teams is all... Had, had to be a great concern. And when you do get beat in a playoff series, you know, there are things that stand out. Maybe a special teams as much as anything was a huge factor in all of it. For sure. And it, it probably didn't come as a surprise to the Wild because that had kind of been a factor all season for the team. It had been an issue all season for the team. The power play just never found a consistent rhythm. The penalty kill struggled. And obviously, I think in a head-to-head matchup with the playoffs, those areas become magnified. They can decide series. Um, you know, penalties get called, teams take advantage. And if you look at it, in, in two of, you know, two of St. Louis's wins, the game deciding goal was scored on the power play by the Blues. So their production obviously, um, you know, was, was much more in that area. They finished with eight power play goals compared to four for the Wild. Um, and you're right. I really think that was a factor not only in deciding the series, but also just in dishing out momentum from period to period and game to game. Um, you know, it seemed like a deflating um, couple of minutes when the Wild would go on the power play and just sputter. So those issues, like I said, they were there all season long, but they really came back to haunt the team at the most important time of the season in the playoffs. So the reality is they are out, and beyond that, uh, what what figures to be a difficult transition. We have discussed this before. It's a known entity that, uh, without a better phrase, you know, that the Wild kind of move into a couple of years of, of salary cap hell, if you will, right now. It is going to be a challenge for Bill Guerin uh, to continue to keep this club competitive because of the salary cap challenges they face yeah that's obviously the question that i think takes center stage now is is how does this roster evolve amid very limited spending power obviously like you said the escalating cost of the zach Parise and ryan Suter buyouts are going to eat up a lot of the budget this summer and this is obviously a team that despite the finish certainly had a tremendous regular season and seemed to be able to plant the seeds to, you know, maybe again, take another step forward, especially with the experience now from losing in the playoffs and maybe learning a little bit more about what it takes to win at this time of the year. Um, But roster decisions obviously have to be made. There's not a lot of spending wiggle room right now. And there are some key players up for contract, including Kevin Fiala, who is a first time 30 goal scorer in his career He's a restricted free agent, um, but we'll see how that situation pans out um, because just of the limited flexibility that this team has, the salary cap is projected to go up a little bit, but it still obviously makes for some, you know, decisions for this management team to make in shuffling this roster and uh, seeing how, like I said, it evolves after what was still a successful regular season. And then ultimately, goaltending-wise, uh, Cam Talbot, Mark andre Fleury, uh, the, the conventional wisdom is 
been Cam Talbot's back, Marc-Andre Fleury, uh, because of the salary cap situation, would be elsewhere. But but then beyond that, a goaltender of the future, uh, goalie's a big part of the equation, and that needs to be sorted out. You're right. That's another position, too. And, you know, Talbot's under contract for another season. Um, but, you know, what does that tandem look like? You're right. Marc-Andre Fleury is a free agent. He's an unrestricted free agent, so he can decide where he wants to go. Um, so what does that position look like? Yes, there are prospects in the pipeline, but, you know, whether someone's ready to, you know, escalate to the NHL, maybe not next season. So again, you know, aside from the Kevin Fiala contract situation, there are other positions to be addressed and, and goaltending. You're right. I think is one just figuring out how that duo, um, shakes out for next season. All right, Sarah, do you after being on this beat uh, through camp, uh, all the way through the preseason, the regular season, uh, brief run in the playoffs, do you get a break? Are are you going to take a little (laughs) downtime? Eventually. You know, I think right now it's still kind of sorting through the aftermath and figuring out, yeah, where this team is at, um, what's next, because this is obviously going to be a key offseason with the salary cap situation. But, too, like I said, just seeing how this team um, can set itself up to try to continue this momentum. It's another first-round exit, but to come off the best season in franchise history certainly looks like an opportunity for this team to gain some momentum um, and, you know, maybe learn the lessons that it is and take that, um, to see what can it, it can accomplish in 2022-23. Yeah, and, and Sarah, I, I think Wild fans have to be optimistic about one thing. Maybe the most difficult uh, thing to find in the NHL, elite goal scoring. They have elite goal scoring in Kirill Kaprizov. I mean, they, they've got that going for them. For sure. And you know what? As, as impressive as his regular season was, obviously setting a franchise record and getting to 108 points, he didn't drop off in the playoffs. And I think that's probably very encouraging for the Wild and its fans because as we've seen, just looking at this season, regular season and playoffs are different. You know, the success that a team can have in the regular season does not guarantee postseason success, but he didn't waver. Kaprizov was just as impressive, was just a factor, maybe even more at times, especially his play in game five to kind of turn around the game early, score two quick goals consecutively on the power play. Uh, He is a superstar, and he certainly played like one this season. Well, Sarah, always good to visit with you. Thanks so much for the time. Take care, Steve. All right. Sarah McClellan covers the wild for the start. She'll be in good enough to join us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline on this lovely Saturday. We'll come back. GOP convention in Rochester. Paul Hodawanek is there from our newsroom. We will get an update. It sounds like we're down to two. Uh, are we getting close to uh, the, the, the convention endorsing a candidate for governor? We'll visit with Paul about that momentarily here on News Talk. E3OWCCO. All the news, all the weather coming up at 4, but there is news right now in Rochester. State GOP Convention, Paul Hodawanek joining us from there. And, uh, Paul, do we have an endorsed candidate for governor? No, Steve. We still do not have an endorsed candidate. Republicans are still going through the voting process here at Rochester Mayo Civic Center. They've they've been at this since about 9 a.m. this morning trying to endorse a candidate for governor. 
but no candidate has reached that threshold of 60% of votes needed to be the party's endorsement. And actually, just like a minute ago before you had me on, we've received the results of the sixth ballot. So they've gone through this process six times. They started with five candidates, and now they are down to two. Kendall Qualls leads with 43% of the vote in this last vote, and Scott Jensen is second with 38%. So they're separated by about 5%. In the big news, since we talked last a little over an hour ago, is Mike Murphy has dropped all the way out of the race. He was, when we talked before, leading all three candidates with 31%. He got a bump when a couple of the previous candidates, mainly Neil Shaw, dropped out and basically endorsed Mike. So all of Neil's votes went to Murphy. But since then, he has slowly and slowly kind of bled out the votes. And so that's a big change from the last time we talked. He was at that 32%. But the delegates on the floor that I talked to clearly became worried that Murphy doesn't have the best name recognition of the candidates, and he may not be the best to defeat Tim Walls in a general election. That's the opinion of many of the delegates on the floor. So you saw him slowly lose votes. So this seventh ballot coming up probably in about 25, 30 minutes, we'll get the results of that, is going to be really, really interesting because his 18 percent, Murphy got 18 percent on this last ballot. He fell below the 20 percent threshold. So those 18 percent of voters need to go somewhere on this seventh ballot. If they all went entirely to Qualls, he would get to that 60 percent threshold. But if they split really in any direction, we are going to be headed for another eighth ballot. And at that point, we start to risk do they endorse a candidate before this 6 p.m. deadline that they have set themselves? They have just about, about two hours now to get there. But if they don't get above that time, we leave this convention without a Republican-endorsed candidate for governor. And that is not what the party leadership wants. They want to be united and view it as a tougher road if they have to spend the next month battling themselves, focused on a primary, instead of taking their energy on t- – pushing their energy towards taking Tim Walls out of office. So, again, the last time a non-endorsed candidate has won the general election from the Republican Party was 1994. It's all the way back to Arne Carlson. That was the last time a Republican was not endorsed for governor and then went on to win. So it is very important. The Republicans want to get an endorsed candidate. But we, are at this point, are we're in jeopardy of not having an endorsed candidate at the end of the day here. All right, uh, Paul, a couple of items before we run out of time. Number one, what happens between the ballots? Are there speeches, or is there just individual lobbying going on? Both. So they both get about three minutes to speak to the entire delegation, and before that, they send their whole campaign teams. They're going out there and, you know, stumping for votes, walking up and down the aisles, trying to get those extra votes, and it's really going to come down to a couple dozen at this point. It's going to be razor-thin margins that decides this thing. And then finally, Paul, coming out of the convention, have all of the candidates uh, agreed that they would abide by the results of the convention and put their support behind the endorsed candidate? You know, they, they have very lightly said that, uh, that that was asked of them of the delegation, but we really won't know if that is the case until uh, the candidate gets endorsed and things kind of go from there last. Tonight in the attorney general race, Jim Schultz won the attorney general vote, but Doug Wardlow has not said that he will not run. Uh, There was kind of some conflicting reports. He told a couple of reporters that he wouldn't run. 
sense today. Okay. He's saying he's reevaluating. So it's really we really won't know until it comes from their mouth after someone has been endorsed. All right, uh, Paul. Uh, it sounds like you will be available again at four thirty. We'll do another update. Fantastic. Thank you, Keith. All right, there he is, Paul Hodawanik, joining us from Rochester and the GOP convention. They head for another ballot. It's down to two. As uh, soon as we have an endorsed candidate, we'll pass that along here on News Talk, E3OWCCO. Here's what we've got coming up. All the news, all the weather. It is opening day, uh, the Inland Walleye opener. Steve Carney will join us, get uh, his thoughts as we go outdoors with Steve Carney each and every Saturday. We'll get you up to date on the sports headlines, NBA, NHL, PGA Tour, Twins tonight. Twins Magazine gets started following the news and weather at 4.30. Uh, a couple of great guests lined up. Our pregame at 5.30, first pitch after 6 tonight. Twins and Guardians on a lovely night at Target Field. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.